Once more, welcome to all of you. My name is Tim Harris, and I'm delighted to, uh, to be with you this morning. Welcome to all of you in the overflow this morning. Those of you at the Franklin campus, Pastor Eric, we love you so much. God bless all of you. Let's dig right in and worship God together by turning in our Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, also John chapter 16. They're right there within a few pages of one another. I want to talk this morning about the Holy Spirit. Actually, today on the Christian calendar is Pentecost. Pentecost is, of course, a Jewish holiday originally that came 50 days after Passover. And so we can do the math. We can look at the calendar and know that this is about 50 days since Easter, 50 days after Passover. So Christians all around the world today are celebrating celebrating Pentecost. And that is for us the birthday of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Baptist churches, celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit has never gone over very big. For, for some reason, and some of us can explain some of the reasons, others of us don't have any clue why Baptists have been so afraid of the Holy Spirit. But for one reason or another, Baptists just haven't done much with the Holy Spirit. I really can't explain it. I know if you open your hymnal, I'm not asking you to do that now, but open your hymnal and look in the index and look at all of the hymns for God the Father and all of the hymns for God the Son, for Jesus, and then all of the hymns for the Holy Spirit. There will be about five or six hymns. Not only that, but in a lot of the hymns that we do sing, the third verse, if you've ever paid much attention to your hymns, the third verse will be about the Holy Spirit. And in Baptist churches, what verse do we usually skip? The third verse. So as a result, whether it's intentional or not intentional, for the most part, we Baptists don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. We don't really know how to talk about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes us just a little bit nervous. Maybe not all of us, but some of us for sure. Not real comfortable with the Holy Spirit. So let's go right back to Scripture, right back to the Last Supper, the upper room where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And at this moment, he's talking about the fact that he's leaving. He is going to return to the Father. But he's telling them how in many, many ways this is a good thing because when he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, it is a promise and it is a blessing and it is a thrill to understand how God is with us in the Holy Spirit. We do some jumping around in this speech, uh, this uh, lesson of Jesus to his disciples talking about the Holy Spirit. Start with me in John chapter 14, verse 15. Read a few verses and I'll guide you through as we skip along. John chapter 14, verse 15 says this, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That's what the New Living says, advocate. Anybody have another translation with another word there? He will give you another advocate in the New Living Translation. What does your Bible say that you're reading? Another counselor, another, another comforter, another helper. Yeah, anything else? Yeah, the word there is a Greek word, paraclete, that's very difficult to translate. There is no good word that translates it. So keep in mind, all of these words, I will ask the Father, he will give you another paraclete, another advocate, helper, encourager, comforter, who will never leave you. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus doesn't say it is the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. 
but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be, say the words with me, in you. He lives with you now, later will be in you. Verse 18, it's on the screen, but look. No, I will not abandon you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. Interesting, interesting. Verse 25, verse 25. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, the comforter, the, the paraclete, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now skip down to chapter 16, verse 7. Chapter 16, verse 7. But in fact... It is best for you that I go away. Listen to what Jesus is saying. It is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Jesus actually says, it is best for you that I go away because when I go, I will send. I will send to you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is better. But unfortunately, as I said, many, many of us in churches these days, we don't think a lot about the Holy Spirit. We really don't understand his role in our life. And honestly, we've become a little bit scared of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? My hunch is you're afraid of something like I'm going to show you right here. This is a scene from a real worship service that happened earlier this year in March. This year in a real live Baptist church. This is a Baptist church in Smyrna, Delaware. The man singing is, is a man named Brother Earl. He's singing a song called I'll Be Gone, but just pay attention to what happens. This is a horrible quality video because it's just a real video from a real church, but pay attention. Watch the men in the church. Watch the baptistry. Don't take your eyes off the baptistry and watch the jacket. All right, here you go. I think this might be what you're afraid of. Let's watch. Foolish virgins in will find they have here been left behind. When they're empty vessels and left for thee. They awoke themselves to try, for they left some more to buy. But the bridegroom comes and we have gone with him. Oh, <laughs> 
Foolish birds of even red fire. They have And that's what y'all are afraid of. <laughs> Real honestly, we have certain associations with people who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, and that's part of it right there, and that's in Delaware. I didn't know they acted like that in Delaware. I thought that was like Edmondson County right there. But no, <laughs> Delaware, that is in, in Delaware. I'm not making fun. I'm not making fun of that at all. That's a real church service, and, and I'll tell you, that's not my kind of church service. I, I really, I'm really not hoping to see any of you jump in the baptistry at this moment or throw your coat over my head, although I know it's, it's occurred to you to do that. Uh, but there's something about that video when I watch it. Understand, this is not a Pentecostal church. That's a Baptist church. And they say they have nothing to do with the charismatic movement of, of these days. And I, and I respect that. I understand that. But what happens in that church service? Well, God gets a hold of those men. And although I don't necessarily want that church service, I don't necessarily want to see people running them down the aisles, there's a part of me that would trade about five of our guys who look at their watches and sleep through the service and look like they're chewing on Kleenex. I would trade about five of you for that guy that throws his coat. There's part of me that would just almost do that. Uh, again, I, I understand that we like to be in control, and that is our problem. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, this is why we begin to back off a, a little bit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' presence with us. And it is the way that Jesus doesn't just live among us and with us, but Jesus comes to live inside of us. That is the promise of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they could barely imagine such a thing. David, the psalmist, would sit there in the temple, and he would be very, very jealous. Read the Psalms. Jealous of the birds who could come and build nests in the Holy of Holies. The birds who could come and nest in the temple. David was jealous because he couldn't imagine being able to be in God's presence all of the time like that. Do you understand that? That before the coming of the Holy Spirit, people could not have God's presence living inside of them. And yet this is what we have through Christ in the Spirit. And honestly, some of us aren't that thrilled about it. And I think that's a profound spiritual problem. It's a profound spiritual problem when we become so fearful of what Jesus promises with such joy that the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. Absolutely, you have to give up control. And that's why you stop short. We like control. 
I, I don't know. I'm just like you. I grew up in a Baptist church. I grew up where we worship with both hands down at our sides. I was music minister at Woodburn Baptist a thousand years ago when Ken Cummins was our pastor. And Ken was the, 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 the first station manager at WCVK, the Christian radio station. So that was kind of the first time that people in a broad region started finding out about Woodburn Baptist Church because Ken was our pastor. And so all kinds of Christians started visiting Woodburn Baptist Church. And I'll never forget one Sunday when I was leading a hymn, and I was leading a hymn in my coat and in my tie, and I'm leading it by waving my arm and looking at the hymnal. And all of a sudden, these two ladies that I've never seen before raised their hands. And I'm thinking, oh, no, there goes our whole Sunday that they just killed this whole worship service. And they did because all of a sudden, everybody in the house is just looking at these two women. And all they're doing is praising God. But isn't that funny how all of a sudden two women who just want to praise God can sort of kill a whole service for the rest of the people? Isn't that really odd? Honestly, there are reasons for that. In the 60s and 70s, when the charismatic movement kind of swept through this area, a lot of churches were divided, and a lot of churches were split. And so many of us really developed this caution because it was so painful. We really didn't know how to, how, how to work and operate with this Holy Spirit blowing through. We struggled. And so for the most part, a lot of us, a lot of our churches started really begin responding more to other people. We started responding to people on the extremes. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there are always two extremes. There's the one side that some of us would probably fall in this camp. We really are not comfortable with the Holy Spirit. We really aren't comfortable with any sort of loss of control or, or any sort of enthusiasm like that. We like to keep the buttons, you know, sort of buttoned down on everything. And therefore, for us, the Holy Spirit is just something we don't think about or, or want to talk about. We, we avoid it. The other extreme, of course, are the people who get so excited about the Holy Spirit. And these are the ones who go way beyond Scripture. They exaggerate the place of the Holy Spirit. They exaggerate the work of the Holy Spirit. They exaggerate the importance of what Scripture calls lesser gifts. They've taken the Holy Spirit to a whole different place. And I would say not a scriptural place. And you have these two extremes, and honestly, most of us probably fall somewhere in the middle. We're just trying to find out what Jesus wants from us and what the Holy Spirit has from us. And I think the best way to do that is to look to Scripture, to find out who the Holy Spirit is. Who is the Holy Spirit? Honestly, that is the question to ask and understand how I'm speaking. I don't say what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not an it. Now, often we speak of the Holy Spirit in that way. And when Scripture gives us images of the Holy Spirit, they are often not personal images. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit to Nicodemus, what kind of image did he use? Do you remember? He said, you got to be born of the Spirit. And the Spirit is like wind. It's like wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. The Holy Spirit is like wind. Through Scripture, it's that picture of wind that's very, very common with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is like wind. And that we can't see Him like wind. All we can see is the way He operates when He moves through. But, but the Spirit is invisible like wind. The Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It's the same word for breath. 
So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is sort of figured as being like the breath of God. You can't see God's breath, but God's breath moves and blows. Elsewhere in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is pictured as like fire or perhaps like a dove. Again, in nearly every case, the way the Holy Spirit is described is in an object or something not personal. But understand, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not impersonal. It's not like a force. It's not like God's laser beam or or somehow like God's Holy Ghost. Don't you understand? The Holy Spirit is God. As Christians, we believe that God is three in one, three persons. There's one God, but three persons. Don't even try to make this logical. This is God. He's so far beyond us. But we do recognize that God is three. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. Now, it is not that one day we wake up and God today is going to be the Father to us, and then the next day God will come to us as the Holy Spirit. It is not that. God is three in one, all at the same time, all of the time. God is three, three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This means that the Holy Spirit is one of the divine persons. The Holy Spirit is God. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he uses an interesting phrase. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. When Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he uses that phrase. He says, God will give you another advocate, another paraclete is the word Jesus uses there. Actually, both of those words might raise questions for you. Number one, you probably don't know what a paraclete is. We're not talking about the little bird in the cage, paraclete. A paraclete is the word Jesus uses. But he also says, I'm going to send you another paraclete. God will send you another paraclete. So obviously when Jesus says another, Jesus has in mind that there is a first. There is uh, an other paraclete. Do you understand? So first off, who is the first paraclete? When Jesus says another paraclete, who is the first paraclete that God has sent? What would you say? Obviously it's Jesus. Jesus is a paraclete. So understand that. The word is only used in, in John's writings. And in another instance, when the word paraclete is used, it's in reference to Jesus. When in 1 John it says, if we confess our sins, we have an advocate, a paraclete with the Father, and that is Jesus. So understand, the word only ever applies to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus. So when Jesus says, God the Father will send you another paraclete, it's another other than Jesus. Jesus is returning to the Father, and the Father will send another paraclete. So recognize just a plain sense of that. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' presence on earth after he returns to the Father. The Holy Spirit is God's presence on earth. It's a substitute. It's a replacement for Jesus once he goes back to the Father. Now, Jesus says, it's going to be best for you, it's going to be better for you that I go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come. In what way is that better? What could be better than having Jesus? 
Well, remember, when Jesus was walking on earth, he was human, in a human body just like mine, just like yours, which means he could only be in one place at at a time, only with whatever group was with him. He was only available in one location. It's better, Jesus says, that I return to the Father because when the Holy Spirit comes, he who now lives with you will live in you. God's presence everywhere, all at once, through the Holy Spirit. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another paraclete. Let's talk about that word, paraclete. What does that mean? Break it down into its parts, that that first part, para. We talked about that when we were doing parables. That, That prefix para means alongside. Good. Alongside. It means alongside. Cleat. That part comes from a word kaleo, which means to call. So paraclete means to call alongside. To call alongside. So what Jesus says here is God is going to call another one alongside you. Another helper, another encourager, another advocate, another comforter. We've used all kinds of words to translate paraclete. God's going to call another one alongside you. The Holy Spirit is God's presence alongside you. Jesus says it's going to be better when the Holy Spirit comes better for you. You ever been to the airport? I I don't go to airports very often. Maybe once every blue moon I fly somewhere, and I'm not interested in flying anywhere. That's just not me. But the airports are amazing. I remember the first time I ever discovered one of those moving sidewalks. Have you seen those? I was walking along. I think Casey and I were coming back from somewhere, and I had all the bags, and Casey was bagged down, and we were so tired, and we're walking, walking, trying to get somewhere quickly, and we're walking and carrying the bags. And all of a sudden, I look, and there's this guy walking at about the same pace I am, but he's, he flies right by me. Have you seen that? He walks just like me, the same kind of energy, but just goes right beside me. And I'm looking, and what is it? Moving sidewalk. Man, aren't those fun? If you don't even want to fly anywhere, go to the airport and ride the moving sidewalk. Man, that is so much fun. It is an amazing thing. And it reminds me of the Holy Spirit. Reminds me of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes up within me and alongside me and and beneath me. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is my power. That's where my power comes from. So all of us as Baptists who think we don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit, it's no wonder your worship service is so dead. It's no wonder that in your Christian life you lack power. It's no wonder that you experience nothing supernatural in your life with God because the Spirit is where your power comes from. It's the Spirit who comes up under your feet and moves you along, moves you forward into Christ. It's the Spirit who's working that process of becoming more like Christ in your heart. It's the Spirit who comes up under your feet and moves you toward Christ. That's what the Spirit does. He is our power, our strength. He is God's presence alongside of us. But it's still hard to talk about Him. It's hard to think about Him. 
Jesus wants the disciples to understand. So notice what Jesus does. He doesn't spend a lot of time trying to explain the Trinity, the three in one. None of us are ever going to make logical sense of that. It's beyond us. Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time trying to explain how to discern the Spirit or, or what the Spirit looks like or feels like or how he speaks to your heart. Jesus doesn't spend that time. And this is his last night with his disciples. Jesus doesn't talk about what the Spirit looks like. Jesus instead does something altogether different. One of my favorite theologians, Forrest Gump, says, stupid is as stupid does. Stupid is as stupid does. In other words, if you want to understand stupid, just look and see what stupid people do. You could apply this same principle to a lot of things, but I'd apply it here to the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying the Spirit is stupid. I'm saying that in order to understand who the Spirit is, pay attention to what the Spirit does. This is what Jesus does here in the Scripture. He takes a moment and explains what the Holy Spirit will do, and that's what's important. If you want to understand the Spirit, look at what he does. Look at what he does. And notice what Jesus says. There are two things that the Spirit does. First thing the Spirit does is always point to Christ. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, always points back to Christ. Now that's why when I go into a church that's very enthusiastic about the Holy Spirit, I begin to get a little bit nervous. Because Jesus says when the Spirit comes, he's going to keep reminding you about me. The Spirit always points back to Christ. The Spirit does not glorify himself. The Holy Spirit always directs the glory back to Christ. That's what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit is a witness to Christ. So when the Holy Spirit sweeps through, people don't get more excited about the Holy Spirit. They become more excited about Christ. That's why the church in Smyrna, Delaware says, we ain't a Pentecostal church. That's what they say. You need to go to their website. We ain't a Pentecostal church. Those men in that church love Jesus that much. They love Jesus that much. When the Holy Spirit stirs in your heart, he stirs a love for Jesus. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he will speak to you of Jesus. Always, always points back to Jesus That's why in our preaching, it is the Holy Spirit that is the power in preaching. It's the Holy Spirit who takes the preached word and applies it to hearts. You see, this is the amazing thing about the Spirit. He works from inside you. So as a believer, as a Christian, when you hear God's word preached, it's the Holy Spirit that starts going to work in your heart and applying that. That's why Jesus says, when I'm gone, you're going to have a teacher like you've never imagined. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher. He will lead you into all truth. He will teach you everything because he teaches from the inside. The Holy Spirit teaches from inside your heart, inside my heart. Wherever the Holy Spirit goes, whenever the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks of Jesus. He points back to Jesus. That means when people become uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and when they become absolutely controlled by the Spirit, they begin spreading the gospel. They begin talking more about Jesus. It always happens that way. When the Holy Spirit is moving, people will be hearing about Jesus. People will be believing Jesus. The Holy Spirit always testifies to Jesus. Then notice what else Jesus says here. Notice what he says about conviction. Now in chapter 16, back to the verses I had said. Start with me in verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, 
He will convict. That's the important word there. The Holy Spirit convicts. Convicts. That word convicts simply means to, to point out where you're wrong, to show how you're wrong. If you're convicted in a court of law, you are found guilty. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world. Now at this point, this is an amazing passage because we're talking about what the Holy Spirit does in everybody's life. Not just the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit covers the world. The presence of God called alongside every person. And this is what the Spirit is always doing everywhere in the world. He's convicting and he's doing it in in three areas, in three ways. When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Three things. The world's sin, verse 9, is that it refuses to believe in me. First, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Let me ask you a question. Is the Holy Spirit the same thing as your conscience? Is the Holy Spirit the same thing as your your conscience? When you got caught stealing cookies out of the cookie jar and you felt really guilty, was that your conscience? Was that the Holy Spirit or are they the same thing? Is the Holy Spirit your conscience? No, no, no. Your conscience is is something else altogether and you cannot let your conscience be your guide. Your conscience is not always a faithful guide. For one thing, for some of us, my conscience can be a little bit hyperactive. I can feel guilty for things that are not sin. Are you ever like that? I can begin to feel guilty for things that really aren't sin. And that's where my conscience is a little hyperactive. And I've sort of always been that way. My heart breaks whenever I feel like I've done anything, absolutely anything wrong. The other day I was driving and I ran over a squirrel. And honestly, it's the squirrel's fault. It's absolutely the squirrel's fault. But I was driving and I saw the squirrel go out and then back and out and back and then out. And then I heard as I drove over it. And the first thing I said is, oh, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me. I mean, it just felt horrible. I killed a squirrel. I murdered a squirrel. But is that a sin? A squirrel committed suicide. (laughs) It's a squirrel. But my conscience really, really bothered me, really bothered me. I mean, I, I, I'm nearly, I could nearly pull over and have a little squirrel funeral. I mean, that's just me. I felt really guilty for that. My conscience isn't always a very reliable guide, but the Holy Spirit will always convict you of sin. And we're talking now in the whole world, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but always in reference to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals to you that your sin is actually an affront to Christ, that your sin is against Christ. This is what the scriptures say. It's the Holy Spirit that connects with you at that point of your sin. This is the first place every one of us connects with the Holy Spirit. The first thing he will do is somehow bring to our hearts, bring to our minds the fact of our sin. It is, of course, the one thing that separates us from God. And this is what the Holy Spirit reveals, that our sin is a problem. Our sin separates, but because of Jesus, because of his righteousness, the next thing, because of Jesus' righteousness, my sin can be forgiven. I can be saved. I can be restored into a right fellowship with God. It's the Holy Spirit that does that work. That's why in our worship services, in both campuses, in the overflow, we always want to pray that the Holy Spirit will work upon hearts. 
I can preach the Bible. I cannot operate on your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I can preach God's word, but I can't convict you of your sin. The Holy Spirit has to do that. And only the Holy Spirit can show you that real righteousness is not anything within your reach. Real righteousness comes from Christ. It is his perfect sacrifice for your sins that makes righteousness possible. And judgment, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world in regards to judgment. What is the one unforgivable sin? Jesus says it right here. What's the unforgivable sin? Not to believe in him. The only unforgivable sin is not to believe in Jesus. That is why judgment is already happening in this world, Jesus says. It's already happening because as people begin to make their decision either for Christ or against Christ, judgment starts to fall. All of those who do not choose Christ as their Lord and Savior will be judged and condemned for eternity. That's what Scripture says. The judgment is starting to happen now as people begin to make their choice. Jesus says, it's going to be so much better for you when I go to the Father because then I will send the Holy Spirit. I will send the paraclete, another paraclete, another one alongside you. This is where your power comes from. This is where the conviction of the Spirit comes from. It all comes from Him. I guess every time I speak about the Holy Spirit, I get a lot of questions, usually regarding the whole idea of of, of a filling of the Holy Spirit. When I preach on the Spirit, people begin to say, well, Brother Tim, I thought when I, when I got saved, I got the Spirit. Don't I have the Holy Spirit? I don't feel like throwing my coat or jumping in the baptistry, but I still think I got the Holy Spirit. And I agree with you, so hear me say that. I'm not saying that a relationship with the Holy Spirit is something separate. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your heart. He lives within the heart of every believer. I believe that is what Scripture teaches. I do not believe in a second kind of filling. I don't see that in in Scripture. I don't think you get saved and then sometime later the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you get all weird. I don't think that's what Scripture says. Some of you are weird, but it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. There was a man eating breakfast down at the old Murray's restaurant. I don't know what it's called now. Having breakfast at the old Murray's restaurant. He's one of those guys that ordered coffee, got his hot cup of coffee, and immediately started dumping sugar in it. You ever seen that guy? Just started dumping sugar, tons and tons of sugar, and then he was out of sugar. He had put all of the sugar from the table in his cup, and the waitress was still standing there. She'd watched him do it, and he said, "Can, can I have some more sugar, please? You know what the lady said? The waitress said, honey... I'm not going to bring you more sugar till I see you stir what you got. I'm not going to bring you more sugar till I see you stir what you got. In relationship to the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, it's not that you need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in your life, and he is there, and he is real, and he is power, and he is conviction, and he is everything you need. You do not need more of the Holy Spirit, but I really, really feel strongly, brothers and sisters, that many of us certainly need to stir what we got or let him stir us. It is not that you need more of the Holy Spirit. It is not that you don't have all of the Holy Spirit, but do you want to know what your problem is? It is that the Holy Spirit does not have all of you. 
the Holy Spirit does not have all of you. Jesus says, he will, the one who currently lives among you, with you, beside you, Jesus says, will one day live within you. That was the promise of the Spirit. If you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. He's there. His power is there. But are you letting his power be unleashed in your life? Are you living in such a way where you would have to draw on another source of power outside of yourself? This, Jesus says, is what the ordinary Christian life is supposed to be. I showed you a video of a church in Delaware, a tiny little church, weird little church, I guess. You're looking at that church and saying, that's not normal. It's not normal for men to act that way. Men just don't run like that. They don't go jump in the baptistry. You're thinking that's not normal. Have you been to a football game? Have you seen men at a football game? That moron jumped in the baptistry. That's just crazy. Yeah, you know, and I think it's really crazy when at the end of a football game they pour Gatorade on people. I think that's weird. Probably weirder. Did you understand? In our churches, we have made what should be normal seem very, very strange. And we've made what is strange seem very, very normal. It is strange for people who say they love Jesus and people who say they have the Holy Spirit. It's strange to see them sit through worship like dead people. I think that's the strange thing. I think this morning, if you want to ask questions about what's normal and not normal in church, why don't you start in your own heart? It is not normal for a Christian to live a life with no power. The power comes from the Spirit. It is not normal for Christians to live a life where they are in sin and out of sin and in sin and out of sin. Scripture says the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, bring you out of sin. It is not normal for you to call yourself a Christian and live like the world. That's not normal. That's not normal. Jesus says, it's going to be better for you when I go to the Father because then the Holy Spirit will come. Well, the good news today, brothers and sisters, is the Holy Spirit has come. He's coming to my heart. He's coming to your heart. He's coming to this church. Now let's let him have control. Let's let him have control. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be like other churches. We don't necessarily want to be like holy rollers. We don't necessarily want to be like those people running the aisles and hooting and hollering. We don't want to be those people, Lord. I don't really know what we want to be, but Lord, you know what we were created to be. I don't want to be like anybody else. I don't want to be like another church. I just want to be like you, Christ. I just want to be like you. And I, Lord, just want to pray over this church. I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would have full sway in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we run from you. We hide from you. We will not give you the power in our lives. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would seize control by your Spirit. That you would convict us of our sin. That you would show us that the world is under judgment. That you would empower us to be witnesses to Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would light a fire in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would loosen our tongues by the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would find ourselves excited, thrilled, glad, joyful, powerfully engaged in the life of Christ by the Holy Spirit.
We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for our sakes. Amen.